Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in technology, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Tronana Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 58 of the podcast, the topic is the tokenization of securities. Our guest is Yael Tamar, CMO and co-founder of SolidBlock, the issuance platform for digital securities. In this conversation, we talk about the tokenization of securities, starting with the pioneering use case of real estate, where SolidBlock in 2018, in collaboration with its partners, created Aspen Coin to finance the renovation of the St. Regis Aspen Resort, a 179-room luxury hotel. We spent some time discussing the basics of securitization and tokenization before moving to discussing how the deepening digitization creates financial transformation as well. Lastly, we discussed the ever-present need for information on blockchain developments. Yael herself started the site Top of Blockchain. A word from one of our key partners. The Ritosa Summit is the leading family office conference, the largest and most influential gathering of family wealth representing US $4.5 trillion and some 1,000 family offices. Throughout the year, summits are held in Monte Carlo, Monaco, Dubai, UAE, and Riyadh, South Saudi Arabia, and with virtual keynote panels keeping the community connected in between. Yael, it's so great to have you here. Thanks, Tron. It's great to be here. So I wanted to start by talking a little bit about your background. You've done uh, many, many fascinating things related to this uh, interesting tokenization movement. Um, what would you say, um, so you've been involved in several startups. You've also created a, a site that actually informs other people about all of these developments, which aren't necessarily so easy to, to track. Um, what was it that brought you, uh, you know, to today in a founding position in a very exciting uh, blockchain uh, startup that works on, on real estate? What, what brought you here? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess what brought me here is the evolution of finance. Um, I have a finance background. I was actually born in Ukraine. Um, I shouldn't have given that away. I usually say I was born in, in one country which became another country, and now it's a third country. Can you guess what that <laughs> yeah, is? Yeah, right, and then people start guessing. Yeah. yeah. So can you guess what that is? Uh, well, didn't you just say that it was yeah. Ukraine? Yeah. Well, right, so right. specifically, I was born in the Crimea, right? Oh, true. true. Yeah, and then, no, and then right. I, my vivid, my first, one of my first vivid memories is me standing in line to buy butter with coupons, right? So, uh, you know, that's... Um, that is an interesting that background, is, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's basically your first utility token right there. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, you know, and then, then I moved to the US when I was 16 uh, by myself to study. And, you know, it was fascinating how you could build yourself up and become something from nothing, right? And that was definitely not possible in the Soviet Union where I, was, where I grew up. Uh, and then I moved to Israel, the startup nation. So uh, when I was in the U.S., I worked on Wall Street for a broker-dealer doing marketing and analysis. So my job was to go out and, and to the SEC and ask, you know, we had this 
dream to create a marketplace for expired options, which they rejected flat out. But I understood that there's something there. You can create even financial products. And I started digging and I saw how financial products have uh, evolved through the years, right? It was, it's a matter of trend. It's a matter of just the industry recreating itself and to sell more money, you know, <laughs> to sell basically money-based products, different derivatives and and different packaging of the same thing, mm. right? So then, um, but essentially what we're seeing now, which is much more interesting and by far, is that the packaging is done for real world assets, but it's not removed from the asset. You can actually own uh, an asset directly, not through any fund that somebody else is managing. You can own an asset, uh, specifically in our case, a real estate asset, it's true, you own it through a security, through an SPV, but it's one specific asset that you like. You like trophy assets, you like Burj Khalifa, maybe one day somebody tokenizes that. You know, they tokenize the Empire State Building. So, you know, I just kind of jumped through my whole background, which, you know, from Wall Street, I moved to M&A and private equity and financial engineering, IPOs, you know, selling huge companies to the Chinese and things like that and, and, and fintech startups. Hmm. Um, so, and I'm here because I realized that the only way we can grow and wealth and the only way individuals now in the in this new environment in which working hard and saving you know paying taxes is not cutting it out for everybody so what we need to do is we need to invest in assets from an early age so i teach some, um, you know uh, different university courses um, and I, I do a lot of guest lectures to to students and i say you know you guys got to start investing invest early you don't have any money no problem you know invest in fractional assets or in stocks, bonds, whatever you can get your, your hands on, just start doing it. So this is really about more than, than just starting a, a company for you. It is, it's more of a vision of, of another, a different future that you think uh, became possible. Absolutely. Well, you know how entrepreneurs are and, and you know, that's why, uh, you know, I, I used to work and then do a startup, then make a little more money, then blow it all off on a startup and then make a little more. So, you know, the entrepreneurs have the drive to change the world and uh, the only ones that succeed actually, you know, the, the ones that succeed are those that have a clear vision that is beyond making money because who just want to make money you know, invest in real estate or invest in something that grows. Yeah. Startups may not be the best vehicle Startups for that particular goal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You feel like you have to make something, right? You have to make something of your own. You have to create. And you, I don't have an inclination to draw, you know, to paint or to make sculptures, you know. My, my art is creating technology. Fascinating. Tell us, before we sort of get into what, you know, Solid Block uh, per se does, Tell us about this experiment you did early on uh, with, I guess, a different vehicle, but Aspen Coin. How, how did that happen? It's known a little bit in the in the industry as as this kind of anecdote about yeah. how some very innovative people found this hotel that needed renovation. And what's the story there? Well, I, I have to bust the bubble. Actually, the story is the other way around. Uh -huh. You know, the hotel, you know, I, I wish we found Aspen, but Aspen found us. Okay. So, um, you know, actually the management of the hotel are pretty innovative, but they also had a real need and, and, and a real issue. So they needed to renovate the hotel. They got some money from the bank. They got some money from their past investors and they had a little bit left that they wanted to raise. So they thought, okay, maybe we'll go public. And then they started looking into it and how much they would have to spend to, to float the company and then all the reporting they had to do. So, and 
the returns to investors would be really small mm-hmm. as a result of all of that, right? So, but they didn't give up on the dream to give liquidity. They wanted to try something new. They wanted to give investors liquidity. So then they realized that they could do this with tokenization, with blockchain. So they started looking at companies that are in the space that are doing this. And uh, my co-founder, Yuval Wirtzberger, uh, was one of the first people that that started doing it in 2018. So uh, lo and behold, a month later, you know, uh, uh, Yuval and, and, and our team developed the whole uh, you know, the whole token and, and all onboarding and compliance, you know, together with, of course, uh, you know, compliance providers. And, uh, you know, and, and the, actually the project raised really fast. Right? I mean, this is very recent history, 2018, yeah. yet yeah. now, um, and, and maybe just explain what yeah. actually happened. So they, yeah. you, you successfully then actually raised yeah. money through yeah. this vehicle. Exactly. And the hotel got renovated. Mm-hmm. And, and who were who the owners? I mean, who are the fractions? So the, the fractions are individuals with investment as low as $10,000 and some syndicated funds, right? We had uh, a fund from Asia. We had a fund from the U.S. Uh, also Indiegogo, and their uh, their fund was a part of this raise as well. Well, well what is that brings me to a good point. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people might just say, "Well, isn't this just crowdfunding in a different mm. name?" It, just t- tell us for the benefit yeah. of those who are not fully up on what tokenization sure. really is. Why is it not crowdfunding, and, and or is it just kind of yeah. crowdfunding 2.0? Right. So crowdfunding means different things to different people. On a ground level, regulation-wise, CF, regulation CF crowdfunding allows companies um, or assets to raise up to $1.07 million from what's called retail investors. We have retail and we have accredited, right? So in the US, accredited investors are those that earn at least $250,000 for, I think, duration of two years, and as a family, $300,000, or own assets and the value of a million dollars over the value of the home where they live. So um, if we start from the beginning, maybe, <laughs> what tokenization is and what securitization is, that's going to make better sense, right? So uh, tokenization, in a nutshell, that's a combination of securitization and digitization. Securitization is nothing new. It's uh, you know, it's basically a company issuing a security to raise money. It could be either based on equity or debt. So you're basically own you own a part of uh, a part of this company's revenue, right? You have the right to receive uh, interest or dividend, and as well as upside when that asset is sold. That's in the natural securities. That's nothing new. Now, what's new here is the digitization. Once we digitize it and we put it on the blockchain, it's easy for us to start um, trading because we can track who the security belongs to. Now, the regulation itself evolved completely in the last decade. 2012, the Jobs Act allowed private individuals to trade private securities, not only individuals, anybody, to trade private securities. That's new. Up until then, only IPOs allowed individuals to trade. Now, private securities are now tradable. So what does that give us? We're now able to issue, without an IPO, what Aspen did, issue a security that can change hands because on the blockchain we're able to track it. Yes, and I, and, and I guess that's the secret to changing yeah. of hands in yeah, a very efficient exactly. manner. Back to your question about crowdfunding. Crowdfunding uh, in a very 
you know, simple definition is going out to the public, to retail investors, though those that need to be protected, they don't have enough money to lose it. Now, never mind, they could go to a casino down the street, but the SEC wants to protect protect them, right? So they can invest a limited amount of money and go out on these crowdfunding platforms and put $1,000, $2,000, you know, two and a half maximum, right? Now, some people may, you know, include just general raising from non-institutions. So that could, you know, uh, crowdfunding and accredited investors raise. From a standpoint of, uh, of, uh, uh, of regulation, that's actually an exemption reg D506C. That's what it's called, the, the accredited investor security raise. Um, so why what we're doing is better, like you said, the secondary market. So crowdfunding is just the primary. That's how you raise money. Right. The cool things are going to happen on the secondary. Why? Because now individuals can select their assets according to their risk appetite and they can buy and sell them at any time mm -hmm. not only at the beginning right mm -hmm. when you, your risks are high and you are the first to invest if it's a development asset but you can wait and then somebody's bound to sell that security at some point when when maybe the returns are a little lower but the risk is is is, is low as well so you can pick and choose what you want so the secret sauce is in the secondary market mm. and if you apply this to real estate which was this aspen coin yeah. idea then i guess it's pretty easy to kind of imagine wh why this is different because uh, take another thing right isn't isn't this just a timeshare if you were thinking uh -huh. well, well you're right so it's easy yeah. to sort of say well you know in real estate this has been done with, with timeshare. Explain yeah. the difference there, sure. because there, there is a notable difference yeah. with timeshare. Well, timeshare, is, I, I understand that a lot of people dislike timeshare uh, just in general, because you can never get go to a hotel when, when you want to, right? And it's yeah. always packed when, when you know. <laughs> when you want to so, use, yeah, use it, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, one of the things that the Aspen guys wrote down, you know, as a part of the marketing thesis is, you know, uh, uh, with this, token or security that we're issuing you know you're owning a part of the hotel you can't buy beer at our hotel but you can make money from selling a part of that security and use that to buy beer right or use that to buy a room right to, to get into you know to stay in the room right to reserve a room so the difference is that you actually own a part of the hotel you can go to a party on a saturday night and say oh i just bought a piece of uh, you know, Waldorf Astoria, where yep. we're sitting today, right? right? It's about trophy assets, I think. Mm -hmm. For most people, it's going to be in the beginning trophy assets. For others that are more sophisticated, it's going to be diversification because mm -hmm. you can now invest in a lot of different assets, diversify your portfolio. Mm -hmm. And you can sell these assets and, and you can own so many more of the same asset. Again, in, in real estate, you could now own real estate in many different towns right. uh, at the same time. But tell us how the, how you think this is going to evolve. So fractionalizing assets, where is it going to move? Is this going to, is this for, uh, you know, for real estate, is it going to, for instance, change the way all real estate works over time? I mean, it seems like it is more optimized. It's a more, uh, and it's an interesting thing because real estate, as we know, you know, at our conference here, private uh, family offices, they like real estate because yeah. it's something fungible. They can touch it, yeah. right? What, what's going to happen to that particular asset mm -hmm. class when it comes to the, yeah. the vehicle that's now created? So right now we have around $260 trillion worth of real estate assets anywhere. Only about 20% of that is investable, right? We have public assets. You know, we have um, real estate that's not for sale, right? But then out of that... Out of the that total, you know, 20 is investable, but only 1% is tradable. 
And those are public, you know, uh, public REITs, things like that. Mm -hmm. So even if we increase it by one more percent, we're talking about around $3 trillion worth of assets that are going to be traded and accessible to individuals. Today, you don't have access to invest in the St. Regis or or you know the Burj Khalifa or Empire State Building or or even a multifamily. Or, you know, so for you, it's yeah. more about putting new types of assets yeah. on on the tradable market than it is to change the existing logic. Because yeah. you know There's, investors are by and large sort of happy yeah. with what they have. Because exactly. that was going to be my it's, question. Yeah. You know, it sounds fascinating, but is there going to be a demand for this? Yeah. Who needs this flexibility? But now you, I guess. Sure. On one hand, you answered that, but mm -hmm. but then what happens to the existing assets? Are they also going to change? Do you predict they will change? So again, there will be people that are buying assets and they want to own the whole thing. I want to own this hotel. I don't. I want to own a piece of it. Right. That's what Especially, I was referring yeah. to. Well, the, the, those guys are like, they're, hey, they're don't mess with it. this. I don't want even one percent owned by anybody. Exactly. There will be those people until they realize that the. The name of the game is diversification, right. and until they realize, you know, that they're staying behind. But the, you know, the, the, there's always a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's a there on that spectrum we have, uh, you know, high net worth. We call them Henry, high net worth, not rich yet. They they have you know a little bit of money to invest, a few hundred thousand dollars, and they want to diversify. They want to put all that money in one asset, right? They're then for them it's more important to diversify. Right. So so that's where kind of yeah. part of your vision comes in. If you yeah. if you are want if you want to enable people to create wealth, yeah. this is really a differentiator and it's a, it makes a big difference exactly. when you're trying to exactly. to take risk and uh, you know and you're willing to take risk but you just didn't have access I guess to enough exciting yes objects. Exactly. Right. It's definitely about the access. Uh, it's about liquidity because that's a part of the access because, you know, a lot more assets are going to be available in the secondary market. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after somebody buys it, they want to sell it. Mm -hmm. So that's an opportunity for somebody else to come in at a different stage at a different time. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so that's the name of the game. And of course, the fact that uh, you, you, can, you can buy and sell globally, it's a global game. Mm -hmm. It becomes a global game, not a local game. Mm -hmm. So what are the risks, though, for you as a company building this out? I mean, you're, you're the, the pioneer right now in this game. But presumably, there's other smart people out there. I actually just had a guy on my podcast who is, mm -hmm. you know, was looking to your concept and has kind of put his, his own spin on it and is launching this, you know, for now in the U.S. So there are going to be a, a lot of players. But what are the risks right now, the challenges, I guess, in yeah. in getting this off the ground? Is it partly sort of just communicating what it is and reducing the inertia, but also maybe some people, are, even regulators, might be yeah. skeptical about this? I think the regulators, you know, have gotten their grip on it in most jurisdictions. Um, I, I found that the regulators in many places don't understand what tokenization is. And then when you sit down and you explain to them, it starts making sense. Mm -hmm. um, but m the biggest the biggest challenge right now is the, the buy side of the market. Mm -hmm. The sell side, you have, you have the projects that want to tokenize, they understand the technology. For them, it's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. Now, for the buy side, for this liquidity and the secondary market to work, you need, you need institutions to step in. Um, in any investment market, you have around 70, 80% institutions and then some smaller family offices, and then maybe, you know, 10% uh, high net worth, uh, and just a few, you know, retail, right? And the, the institutions are really moving the market. 
and the institutions have, of course, have individuals behind them. So for us uh, to succeed, we need institutions to step in mm -hmm. and start trading and start getting interested uh, and also start start genuinely diversifying, right? So and and getting getting involved with single assets um, and in the industry, mm. and then the industry is going to move. But on the regulatory side, and this is maybe a much larger question than tokenization itself, it's a little bit my impression that the U.S., which is actually where you issued the, the Aspen coin, they haven't exactly been, uh, you know, leading edge when it comes to the adoption of other types of crypto-enabled, yeah. whether it be currencies or yeah. other types of, uh, of, of blockchain ledger mm -hmm. protocols, and, and they haven't exactly been the leaders in that domain, right. wouldn't you say? I mean, there's Switzerland, other places that have been, you know, more facilitating of, of that kind of a um, market. What is happening in the U.S., you know, in this overall general space? Do right. you see, uh, you know, are, is the financial services, you know, committees, is the FDA, how are, how are they, uh, not the FDA, the SEC, are, yeah. they, are they thinking now more about this? Are they starting to... Have they reached out to you to kind of ask mm -hmm. a little bit about this? How, how is the situation in the U.S.? So the U.S. and the SEC traditionally has been following the market, mm -hmm. trying to see what's happening. It's not going to come out and ban ICOs. I'm going to be the first one to do it. Mm -hmm. So that that's they kind of like it to leave it up to us to interpret, and uh, and then and then you know come at you afterwards mm -hmm. so and we've seen quite a few companies that issued ICOs you know utility tokens that the SEC have come after them after the fact now um, what we're doing actually is a plain vanilla security mm -hmm. can you just explain yeah. the difference between a utility token and a yeah. security token I mean it seems obvious to you but it's mm -hmm. not obvious to people who are yeah. not you know it's, up on uh, this every day there's this Huey test so very, very, or uh, or Howie, I don't know how it's pronounced, yeah. but uh, it's uh, it's very simple. Did you invest in this token to make money? That's right. it. And that's what makes it a security. A security, you invest in security to ex when you expect growth. Right. The utility token is a great concept all in and itself, mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's unfortunate that it was used for fundraising purposes. Exactly, because a utility token and, and all of the, that part of the blockchain sort of uh, movement is actually a, a movement for good, right? It's, right. It's, it's actually part of creating yeah. the, the backbone, exactly. the, the structures around yeah. it. You have communities that rally behind the product. You develop the product with community's help. I mean, Kickstarter, very simple Kickstarter mm -hmm. model, or, you know, or concert ticket model. You know, mm -hmm. you buy you buy a ticket to go to the concert in two years when they come to your to your town. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a it's a it makes sense. The model makes sense because mm -hmm. it helps you develop a new amazing product for the community. You know, but people invested in that in order to make money, and they made a lot of money. But of course, only the, the you know the the first. Uh, Batch makes money, and the rest of uh, and the rest of them lose. A lot of people who watch this from the outside, they kind of look at the values that are taking place, and mm -hmm. they're sort of thinking it's a you know pyramid scheme a little bit. Yeah. But so yeah, it definitely. Well, this happens in almost all new asset classes, right? You know, cash is the the biggest uh, asset used for you know in the black market and uh, and fraud, right? So. Um, these ICO was was basically a product of a new market uh, under developed regulation, and the SEC and the other 
um, regulators unable to step in early and just because they're slow. Mm -hmm. uh, you asked me whether they reached out, you know, they rarely reach out to companies, but what they do, they reach out to organizations, lobby organizations. Right. We're a part of an organization called the uh, Digital Chamber of Commerce. Mm -hmm. This is a leading lobby organization that works uh, with with U.S. senators and uh, you know legislators to uh, to push the the you know the regulators to really make decisions and and uh, and 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 facilitate the market because there's certain uncertainties certain uncertainties that's an oxymoron that in in that that make it impossible to operate or at least very difficult. For example, you know the 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 regulators said. You need uh, a special license to custody crypto mm -hmm. or to custody digital, sorry, digital securities. Yet they did not grant these licenses to anyone. Mm -hmm. So there is a loophole that you can do. So custody is uh, maybe explained. Basically, that's holding. That's a financial institution holding your assets for you, so you don't have to worry about the wallet and and the keys and so on. So you know, there is a loophole. Uh, that that many companies found that they can custody their own assets as long as it's their own offering, mm -hmm. as long as it's not mm -hmm. a third party offering. So these type, there's always solutions that exist within within the boundaries of the law. Let's talk about the long range here. So the next ten years, there, uh, tokenization isn't just about real estate, is it? Even, even you know, in in your company, you're you're foreseeing enabling a lot of other types of. Mm -hmm products and i don't know even services who knows on this on the blockchain what what are the limitations here i mean if this is done carefully although i guess it won't be done carefully because there's going to be all kinds of actors involved here who are yeah. going to you know take these opportunities but i mean could you tokenize uh, the local uh, public works could you uh, use this to save the environment could you, what are the bigger projects yeah. you see what are the first big projects that are not real estate that are going to be tokenized so my, myself i love everything that's related to impact and green energy you know so i believe that green energy projects will be tokenized successfully you know it's a, it's actually a great product and uh you know high yielding projects uh so you know, by the way, I'm not an investment advisor. So none of this is an investment advice. Sure. Um, so, you know, I see that those those are going to be popular. I don't necessarily see things like art you know, or even collectibles to, to play a huge role. Um, I've seen I've seen that actually model being successful because, of course, there's a lot of people that are excited about it mm -hmm. and they like collecting and they like owning, you know, well, if you could own a one ten thousandth of a Mondrian, you know, and then you're I like, know. hmm, oh, I own a little Mondrian yeah. collection yeah. here. Yeah, so it's a collectible market, right? So yeah. it's not as big as, let's say, the total market of collectibles, which is huge because they're expensive, right? Yeah. So, um, but I think that the green energy, oh, uh, the green bonds, I think that's the next big thing, really. Um, mm -hmm. Because when you take a guaranteed, you know, tax return that was that's secured by governments, right, for specific projects. And then you tokenize that, you know, as long as you have some sort of a secure asset behind uh, what you're doing. That's the secret yeah. to everything in finance, yeah. isn't it? You, yeah. you have to kind of seek some sort of safe haven behind what you're exactly. doing at every moment. Yeah, things like uh, invoicing, you know, because COVID created this huge need for liquidity. And mm -hmm. like small businesses are not 
able to cope with these huge delays in payments, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, like retailers, they do current plus one. 180 270 days from the day of you know deliver uh, from until the day of payment actually yeah. so you can tokenize that and that's a huge huge market so I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to come and to come out and do it we've thought about all these things many times over but we just decided we got to focus a startup got to focus yeah so what is exactly your business models you're, you're not sitting there waiting for people to yeah. offer you know can you do this for us that for us you you are yeah. going for the for the real estate yeah option and and you, you what are some of the projects that that are coming that you can talk about yeah. that you are that's yeah. coming online with with you sure so we have a best western uh hotel in phuket thailand mm -hmm. which uh you know it's a beachfront property and we love the property and the way it's structured i think it's perfect for covid because in, in thailand they, they may have quarantine i'd say but you can come and stay in a hotel um, and you have a swimming pool right at your door, <laughs> doorsteps of the balcony or individual pool. Uh, so, you know, we love that property and you can own a piece of, uh, you know, a, a great brand, right? Um, for us, the most important thing in every project is, you know, we do due diligence on every partner. Uh, these are developers that have experience, you know, in decades and um, they know how to make money for the investors, right? So that's one of the properties. Another one. But for think, this one, just to yeah. be curious, how did you convince the owners of that property that uh -huh. this was a great idea? Because that's yeah. what your point, right? You, yeah. you have to convince yeah. individual yeah. asset owners that exactly. this is going to help them somehow. Well, they actually, you know, they, they, there was not a lot of convincing for them because for them, it's, you know, for a hotel, it's a no brainer because a hotel has a, a community. Mm -hmm. So um, for them, it's creating this sense of belonging. Like I own a part of a hotel. Mm -hmm. I want the hotel to succeed. I'm going to recommend the hotel. And by the way, if you read the the the, the latest reports on hospitality and what's going to happen post-COVID, you know, uh, tourism, people are going to stay and people are staying in the hotels they know. Sure, I mean yeah. the 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 flight towards say, you know safe uh, places to go and safe yeah. things to do yeah. is massive. And who's going to survive? Which destinations are going to survive? Well, our bet is on Phuket, Thailand. It's uh, in um, it's always been in top ten in the world, and uh, you know definitely a place uh, people could go to. You know, mm. and they're not gonna venture out, and and, and maybe cold climates, probably mm. less. They're gonna not venture out to new locations. They've been to Thailand. They love it. You know, they only have you know that you have to go through so many hoops. Mm. So so we really believe that if you go for hospitality, this is the place. Mm. Do you think that crypto, that uh, COVID is a game changer for crypto overall? And if so, why might yeah. that be the case? Well, COVID is a game changer for everything. Yeah. Uh, for, for starters, for real estate, you know, some asset classes are totally irrelevant. Offices are gone and um, people are buying apartments that are larger to incorporate a home office. You, you know, there's co-living where you know you, you you don't want to even own the place where you live and you dwell and the hospitality is changed completely and um so so you know it doesn't look like uh, um industry just you know at six months ago right um so in terms of crypto and covid um we are looking at uh, a very much digitized society today, much more than before. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a joke around uh, that says, you know, what which what forced your company to go into digital transformation, and it's not cloud, and it's not this technology, it's COVID, right? And whoever didn't 
<laughs> was an online digitized they behind they, they're behind yeah. and you know in terms of payments and crypto as an asset you know people realize they got to diversify they have to find new ways of doing things new ways of making money mm-hmm. you know um, so that's why we're here right that's as far as as far as the crypto industry mm. so how fast will this go if you were kind of I'm gonna just sort of try to imagine the next yeah. two years the next five years the next seven and the next ten what you know is this is this gonna take a decade before it becomes significant or do you think because of covid and other things that this is actually gonna become commonplace even just five years from now people will say well of course you know it's an evolution and yeah of course you know you'll you'll find people on the street who are saying oh sure you know yeah. this is not complicated yeah well that's a great question Tron so Bitcoin is still not mainstream, for example, right? So when we talk about some asset classes, crypto, for some reason, you know, it's been 12 years and many people did not partake. Now, real estate is a very common asset and everybody wants to own a piece of real estate. So uh, is this asset class going to become mainstream or are people going to still buy apartments the old way? It's hard for me to predict, but I'll tell you one thing. The people in the know, the asset managers and the institutions, you know, they're already there. Mm. They are ahead of the game. They understand the potential. They understand how it's going to make them money. Mm. And uh, and that's what's frustrating for me because I want the, ord- you know, the ordinary people like me mm-hmm. to be able to invest and benefit from this asset class. So you're actually more worried that it's so the likes of the people you met at this conference, they're going to they're going to sooner or later and rather sooner actually get this but the people you want to help and enable may not necessarily get it as fast exactly because it's very expensive to get to investors you know uh, it takes you know thousands of dollars to bring a a sophisticated investor maybe a little less retail investor but it's just not worth anybody's time or money so um well how do, that yeah. brings me to the question how do you take this mm-hmm. to market if you yeah. mean the individual market yeah. the ones you wanted to help the ones you right. want to bring up lift up that is expensive of yeah. a proposition if you alone as mm-hmm. a company wanted to yeah. bring those people yeah. kind of into the market that's not doable for a startup so this is a general piece of advice to any startup anybody doing something new when you go out and you try to sell and you're telling them god the newest asset class the most revolutionary thing ever are they gonna buy it yeah. no they're not gonna buy it you gotta go and tell them guys this is plain vanilla whatever you've been doing until now yeah. you get the same but it's a little better yeah. you're gonna get liquidity you're gonna be able to sell it whenever you want so my answer to how we're gonna do this we have distribution channels right mm-hmm. it's crowdfunding platforms and brokers even realtors People that have been selling real estate, they can sell exactly the same thing. But say, guys, you've been buying apartments, but here's an amazing project that you could never buy before, but now I can get it to you. You want to buy it? You should tell this to startups worldwide, right? Because (laughs) there's so much energy spent by founders to sound like the smartest person in the room, but nobody wants the smartest person (laughs) in the room to succeed with anything because I guess that, you know, it's threatening, it feels scary, and it can't possibly be true. Plus... You know, there's a reason why other people aren't always innovators. They're, they they don't like the unknown. And, and there is a lot of unknown out there. Mm-hmm. If you want to, you can create a startup that's as complicated as, as nothing. <laughs> but that's not necessarily the smartest strategy, is it? Yeah, it's not. not. Yeah. And yeah, people don't want new, uh, new well, when it comes to their money. They want proven. 
There's something to be said for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, um, when it comes to this other aspect that I was fascinated with, uh, with you, which is that you have already started, uh, you know, within blockchain and, and, and crypto, you started sites and places where, where you could get informed. Uh, and I guess we're also founders. And tell me a little bit about what the target was for those sites, the, the top of, uh, of blockchain and who, who, who's using those kinds of uh, resources right now? Sure. So I started in this industry about four or five years ago where a lot of people just weren't informed of what blockchain could do. And, uh, you know, a lot of people reached out to me uh, to, to ask, you know, I even I worked with banks, with governments, you know, we traveled to Africa to work on title registry uh, on the blockchain. So, you know, I just started writing blogs about what, uh, what blockchain can do in different industries. And a lot of people just, you know, wanted to have phone calls, people from the automotive industry, then uh, uh, Telus, which is the biggest customer service company in the world, reached out and wanted me to write a blog about how this could be used in a customer service. And so, you know, companies just, I, IBM uh, wanted me to write a few blogs. So that that's just basically how that grew. And now now I'm not doing any of that because I'm just too busy. <laughs> I understand, really. but, but, but the principle yeah. remains, there is an interest oh, and yeah. an appetite definitely. and a need definitely. when you're creating a new asset class. Absolutely. That's not a small thing. No, absolutely. So actually <laughs> what I did throughout this whole craziness uh, this year, I developed a course on tokenization for specifically for real estate investors and real estate owners. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, know, you can come to our website and you can take the course and and basically it's 14 hours of <laughs> of uh, of content where yeah. you know uh, people I, I i speak to people who took the course and they're like oh uh you know i stop and i and i write notes and i stop and i write notes so you know uh, well i'll definitely happen. link that up that sounds like a good is <laughs> a good resource for sure yeah yeah, yeah. well thank you very much this was fascinating yeah, thank you so for much sure. for coming Thanks, on john those are great questions absolutely all right yeah great meeting you you have just listened to episode 58 of the Futurized podcast with host Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the tokenization of securities. Our guest was Yael Tamar, CMO and co-founder of SolidBlock, the issuance platform for digital securities. In this conversation, we talked about the tokenization of securities, starting with the pioneering use case of real estate, where SolidLock in 2018, in collaboration with its partners, created Aspen Coin to finance the renovation of the St. Regis Aspen Resort, a 179-room luxury hotel. We spent some time discussing the basics of securitization and tokenization before moving to discussing how the deepening digitization creates financial transformation as well. Lastly, we discussed the ever-present need for information on blockchain developments. Yael herself started the site top of blockchain. My takeaway is that the tokenization of securities has only just begun. Given its novelty, even real estate will take some time to onboard at scale to such a platform. However, when it does, the true revolution of fractionalized ownership and tradability will enable swaths of new emerging investors to enter the market even from very low starting amounts. This could prove transformational for the emerging markets in Asia, South America and even Africa. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurized.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.